0: Whether it's dismantling the fossil fuel industry, creating a solar-powered utopia, or simply desiring to hear more birds in the sky than planes, this is Idealistically, a podcast where we discuss what we would idealistically want in an ideal world. Hello, and welcome back to the podcast. I am looking forward to this episode today partly because it was the first one I ever recorded so it's a little bit sentimental but also because it is with one of my good friends who if you follow climate activists on social media you may already be quite well acquainted with Michaela Loach is here with me today which is very exciting. And we have a nice friendly chat, a little bit of banter, a little bit of laughs, which is nice. I want this to be a place that we can kind of have a bit of joy. So hopefully you can kind of pick up on that during this episode. Mick does introduce herself as I get all my guests to do. However, please do take a deeper dive and go and look at the amazing work that she's doing, including the campaign, which I will talk a little bit more about at the end of the episode, called Paid to Pollute which is taking the UK government to court over fossil fuel subsidies. So yeah, let's jump in. Okay, so first of all, do you want to just like go ahead and introduce yourself in whatever way you feel comfortable introducing yourself with? Um, Imagine the person listening who has no idea who you are. Um, Yeah, go for it. Hi, I'm Michaela
1: Loach. I am a climate justice activist and um, writer and co-host of a podcast called The X Podcast. and medical student and basically multi hyphenate millennial, it seems, um, based in Edinburgh in Scotland. Um, which is where like I most of my organizing happens. Um just like I never know what to say in this like is is the bio. Like especially now in a podcast like setting, I'm like, no no, like you can't see someone. Do I describe what I look like? I don't know. Um <laughs> I also love pink. I love a lot of pink. And Tolly yeah. and I first met um, at the October rebellion. And I was like such a fangirl. And I ran up to you we and did. I was like, I
0: love your gifts. <laughs> <laughs> what I find incredibly amazing about that now is like, I think at the point, at that point, like more people knew of me than they knew of you. I might be wrong, oh, for but sure. now it's like Mick. Everyone knows Mick. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm just a gift girl. She came and said hi to. <laughs> Shut up.
1: Your gifts have had millions of views, like uh, millions. It yeah, was wild. It is Like wild. I was, I remember, I, was, I, don't know, I still am such a huge fan of a guest, but at the time I was like, oh my gosh, it's Tolly Dolly Posh.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. People of this podcast might not even know what Tolly Dolly Posh yeah, is. They don't know, they're not the OGs. So yeah, thank you for the introduction. Um, and I'm going to throw you straight in and I'm going to say, do you find it easy at the moment to envision an ideal world? Oh, that is
1: a hard question. Um, I think sometimes. And then most of the time not so times that i find it i think easy to envision a new world is times when i'm either like reading about movements or like reading about people who talk about liberation and things like that like um this weekend actually i watched a documentary called crip camp um which is about like the disability civil rights movement and like um the dispute is called like the crip camp the disability or a disability revolution it's based in the us and when watching that documentary I felt like I could imagine a liberated future because basically part of part of in the documentary, there's an occupation. I won't like give away what happens, but like (laughs) there's, there's an occupation that happened. And as part of that occupation, um, like loads of other groups, not just like the disabled activist groups, but like also um, the Black Panthers and like unions and like the feminists and all these different people come together to support this occupation and, and like almost create this new world in itself like within this government building and for me when I was watching that I was I, I got really emotional and I was like crying so much I was just it was just so beautiful that I was like this is this is people choosing to create the new world now um, and it's when I see things like that that's when I can I I can believe it but I mean like everyone I get overwhelmed as well by the weight of the world and sometimes I'm not able to envision it as easy as that.
0: Yeah I can relate and kind of similarly for me like within activist spaces I remember the first time I joined like a big well it was the April rebellion um, with the Extinction Rebellion that was like the first time I'd really just been so immersed within a community of people wanting Mm. to do the same thing and it was honestly just like the atmosphere as well of just like People, I always find the seems a bit silly, but just like people sharing biscuits and just like, <laughs> just like looking after one another, and yeah, 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 I totally relate to that. Like that is in a, in itself, like living out the world we want, um, just mm. in in a small way. Th- that, and I think that's what,
1: what movement should be is, is us living out the world we want now, like in, in whatever way we can and, and creating kind of like <clears throat> these like microcosms of the world that we want to see in the future. But now um, and I just think it's so beautiful. And that's what I think is in many ways, like some of the most beautiful parts of movements is is like refusing to settle for the world as it is now or even in many ways acknowledge the world as it is now and instead like create our new our, our own worlds um I just think that's really beautiful and moving and wonderful
0: yeah okay so leading on from that what is the first thing that comes to mind when you envision your ideal world again it's a very big question but we've gotta we've gotta ask these things
1: oh oh that's like I don't mm, what's the first thing I think I immediately jump to something which I'm now, like, taking something from someone else. But um, when we had uh, Leila Epsard on Yikes, she said that she just, like, imagined a world where everyone gets dignity. And, like, and that might be hard to, or everyone has access to dignity, or everyone is able to live in dignity. And I find that, like, hard to, like, envision in in pictures. Yeah. (laughs) Or in images. But it's something that I think, like, value-wise is something that I would want mm. as to be a central thing of a new world is just and that will look different for different people as well like what what like kind of dignity or respect or humanity looks like for different people will look different um but that's probably like the first thing that comes to my mind I know that I'm taking that from someone else I'm probably cheating but no
0: no I, I think yeah. we all take things from each other like that's and that's all that's all works. we're all doing isn't it yeah exactly
1: <laughs> like it's bizarre that we I, I always think it's bizarre that we ever make out with any of our ideas or thoughts or things are like solely our own because all we're doing is just kind of all we are is an expression of all the things that we've been impacted by in the world and all the people that we've learned from um I think that it's really lovely how we can just continue that and merge different bits of it together and express it in a way but it's I don't think we should ever be like this is just this one person's because obviously we're all impacted by each other that's that's a different conversation but yeah
0: (laughs) (laughs) no I think it's a good point about kind of activism in general is you know it can be very hard to like track progress and stuff Mm -hmm. but it's like actually the ripple effect and the individuals that you're impacting even very minimally like that is still valuable and important because it helps us to create new ways of looking things looking at things Mm. I think the point about dignity is also is something that can kind of make everything feel very overwhelming it's like that is such a basic thing like we shouldn't have to be wanting that for ourselves like it should just be a given and that is
1: yeah
0: yeah, that's tough to think oh not everyone has that
1: I know and and sometimes I think about like how we think of especially in movements like some of the values that we hold really like tightly in movements to things about dignity or like that resources should be redistributed fairly like these kind of things I'm like why do we have to think why is this like an ideal like situation yes. it just seems bizarre that it's been made out to be this like radical ideal like utopian i like thing yeah. when it should just be so basic and sometimes i just think about it and i'm just like what what
0: <laughs> what why is this world is so yeah. weird there's there's nothing radical about that at all it's mm, like when mm-hmm. people are like i don't know talking about solutions for air pollution it's like you know like why should we be having these conversations? We want clean air. Why do you not want yeah. clean air for yourself? Yeah, it is so it's- it's just
1: bizarre. Like some Yeah. Some sometimes things that are, yeah talked about as being outrageous. It's just like, what? This should be so basic. And that's why I think the a big function of movements and obviously this is not just what I think. This is what a lot of people think is to like push the idea of what is outrageous and what is normal, um, and keep pushing these things into the normal zone so that people like. Will believe one that they've always believed this and always thought this, when actually, like it's the work of movements that push these ideas into the mainstream and make them normal, which I think is really important.
0: Yeah, very important. And actually, um, I explained this in the introduction episode to this podcast. Um, that kind of part of the inspiration for me was kind of realizing that those simple things, again, like shouldn't be radical, and that it's okay for your. Uh, ideal world to just have those simple things like I remember it was after reading Future Earth by Eric Holthaus amazing book which kind of goes into kind of imagining the future um I ended the book and was just thinking I just want to hear more birds how wild is it that just wanting to hear birds is something that I dream of like mm. that and it, it breaks my heart a little bit as well. Like yeah. the fact that kid, kids are growing up and having to to ask for that and demand that. Um, so got, got a bit deep there, didn't we?
1: No, but I, but I mean, I, I agree. Like I think, especially the whole thing about it kind of breaking your heart. Like I feel that so deeply because when, um, when I locked on at the October Rebellion, so like if anyone doesn't know, like locking on is just like chaining yourself or gluing yourself or some sort of like attaching yourself to infrastructure or to like an area to kind of prevent the police from moving a roadblock or like an action site and we were blocking the road outside of Westminster Abbey I remember that when I locked on I was um I just got really emotional I was like crying loads and mainly because I was so upset that this kind of these things that I think we were asking for that in my like I mean in my opinion just don't seem like they're these big asks like oh we want you to protect (laughs) like stop people from dying like this shouldn't be like a huge ask and that we were having to like chain ourselves to the road and like put ourselves under like the proximity to arrest and these different things and put ourselves in many ways in like some sort of danger um just to try and ask like politicians who are meant to be I mean, we, they they work for us they're meant to be like looking after us and looking after um like our futures and our presence asking them to do such a basic thing like i got really upset about just how i think it was the yeah just realizing how how much we have to go this far just to ask for things that aren't really that shouldn't be that big a deal or shouldn't be there shouldn't be opposition to them it's just yeah so i really i really understand that like feeling of heartbreak So i felt that really deeply
0: Yeah gosh I've seen my friends do similar and it's been so emotional to just watch them be like why like I hate that I'm having to watch you do this and that it feels like something you have to do um so on behalf of the governments and all the people screwing up I'm sorry you've had to do that Nick you shouldn't have to. (laughs) I mean
1: yeah but both of us have been involved in a lot of direct action and I don't and it's yeah and I think that it's like I've had to remind myself that this shouldn't be something that's normal like it shouldn't be that like I don't know. I went to I went to protest this weekend at one of the Kill the Bill protests, and I was like, realized I was like, I need to stop normalizing going to protests. As like, I don't know, like we we should have protests as a, as a human right. and It's really great, but I need to stop normalizing that we should always have to be doing these things, especially about things that are so basic. I don't know if that makes sense, but I'm like, yeah, it's just it is weird how much I've made it part of my identity as well to like go to a protest on the weekend. Um,
0: I was also at a Kill the Bill protest um, for those who maybe unaware kill the bill is um the campaign against the police crime sentencing and courts bill in the UK and um a family and their little kids showed up and I was like oh that's gonna be my kids in the future Mm. I was like no no I don't want that to be my kids I don't want my kids to be showing up at protests like I want that to be done by then
1: yeah and it's sad how I think we know that like I mean it's, it's sadly like these things are probably never going to be done and but uh, but but yeah, I think we. Well. I think yeah well <laughs> I think that <laughs> I, yeah I think there are times in which I have to like recognize the reality of the world as it is that like the reality is we probably will have to resist for like a long time yes. and like do all these different things but I can at the same time not like hold on to that too tightly like also believe that in, a, in a different world as well I think those two things like can feel like they're at conflict with each other but embracing both of them for me is important in order to like to keep going but also to make sure that i'm not yeah not just being defeatist because i think this gets said a lot but like um a climate defeatist can be as bad as a climate denier because when you've given up you're doing nothing as well um so yeah it's holding those two things together
0: i really love that and again it's like by saying to ourselves oh for example like oh i don't want my kids to be doing that that's like Well, that's me saying I'm going to work to make sure they don't. Um, And even if they still do, like, at least I've tried. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that, yeah, that's part of it. Yeah, exactly. What would you keep from the current world for your ideal version? Oh, my gosh, gosh. Um, And it can be something small. It can be something silly whatever my... comes to mind <laughs> the first thing that
1: came to mind is like great boogie music or like music generally like I think I love that yes I, I was thinking and immediately I went Lizzo <laughs> I was like can we keep Lizzo <laughs> oh
0: my gosh yes I um, was um practicing my very early dates roller skating yesterday and I put on some Lizzo and I was like yes this yes. is the vibe I need yeah yeah I just
1: think they're like obviously there's so many things in the world that it is now that I think a glimpse is of like a beautiful world and there are like like us living in some sort of like beautiful world now and for me like i love having a boogie you know like you know tolly i love having boogie tolly embroidered me what do you call it what do you call those things
0: um like just a hoop. an embroidery hoop embroidery
1: yeah. hoop and um, that says boogie on it and it was honestly the best present i've ever received in my life um and honestly <laughs> i look at it every day and i'm like ma i'm so i feel so loved um <laughs> and it just reminds me to boogie because i think that that's like i think what i really love and i think i got asked in an interview recently like what do i love about? um like humanity or what's thing, I, what's something I really love about humanity and I was just like 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 silliness like I just love how we can just be so silly for no reason like there's yes. no there's no like um capitalist benefit from being silly like it's just <laughs> it's just something that like will make us laugh and just like I don't know have a bit of a boogie be a bit crap at dancing but like have such a good time and laugh and giggle and I don't know I love it I love silliness
0: I love that so much. I was actually reading a bit of Twitter discourse yesterday, which was discussing, you know, a couple of, I don't know who it was, I can't, can't give credit. Um, But kind of discussing this idea of kind of like, serious protests. And, you know, oh, we should have protests this way. And there shouldn't be any dancing and stuff like that. And it's like, well, again, if we're trying to kind of create Mm. a sort of small bubble version of the world we want within our movements, then like, we want dance, like yeah, we want yeah. to have fun and we want music within that. So yeah, I, I um, love that answer.
1: Yeah, there's a there's a chapter of um, Emma Dabry's book, What White People Can Do Next, which is, I can't remember what's it's called, but it's something about like dancing and revolution. And at the end it says like yes. a revolution's not fighting. It's, I can't remember the exact way, but it's like a revolution without dancing is not worth fighting for. And I was like, that's so, for me, I was like, I feel that because I love Tabuki. <laughs> and <laughs> like, I just think it's, it's just great how we can, I think in many ways it can be, like, a form of, like, like, resistance in the way of, like, I can still dance in the middle of despair. Like, I can still... I can still hold on to this like hope and this joy for the future even in the midst of everything telling me that I shouldn't do that and I think that that's the audacity that we need to have in our movements is to believe so fervently that we can achieve this future and this joy that we can feel some of it now as well and I just think that's really important for us to remember and hold on to and not just like wallow in the gloom and the sadness and the, and and I think that we can we can we can be aware of that and we can also allow ourselves um to like feel joy and and feel the beautifulness of the world.
0: Yes, you were actually one of the people who kind of reminded me to start thinking that way. Um, and I actually even like prepared a question on joy because I was like, you're the perfect yeah. person to ask, um, which I guess is maybe just going to be end up being the same answer. But it would be um, like, what are some joyful things that help you to live out the world you want to live in? And maybe that is just dancing.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think boogieing is definitely like a big thing that I like doing. It brings me a lot of joy um like I really like reading as well I do, like I'm especially because of pandemic brain recently I haven't been able to read for quite a while in the same way that I used to which has been difficult because I think I think I have like so much internalized capitalism that's like you have to be productive in your time off which is which means I think like reading maybe has been part of that um but I've been trying to just read like not serious like quite silly like books I wouldn't tell other people I'm reading just to like feel joy like I love reading um like YA fantasy books that are like like quite bad by bad I just mean that like they're not like highbrow like mm, there's no like undertones it's just like there are zombies um and I found that that brings me a lot of joy because I'm just like I'm actually quote-unquote gaining nothing under like I mean Mm. the value system of capitalism but I'm I'm feeling rest and like I'm just having a bit of a laugh and like finding it so funny that that the storylines are so ridiculous. Um I kinda just love that and like I also just love being in nature and like the thing that definitely brings me the most joy that I just never get to do because of living in the cold, cold Scotland. But I love it here. Um (laughs) is scuba diving. Like scuba diving is my favourite thing in the whole world and I never feel more joy than I feel or never feel like closest to God or closest to the divine or whoever you want to call it. Um when I'm like 20 meters deep in the water and just like taking in the awe of the creation around me and how beautiful it is and how connected everything is. And the fact that like, I don't know, I actually find coral reefs so wonderful because it's like all these different organisms just working together in symbiosis to create something that is just so beautiful, just as it is naturally, like for no reason other than to be beautiful. And I think that we see that in nature so much. And that's something that brings me like heaps and heaps and heaps and heaps of joy um and reminds me like I think we can't we need we need joy because otherwise what are we doing like if we if we don't have joy then then where are we getting our energy from where are we filling ourselves up from um and that's why I'm trying to prioritize joy as much as I can because I know that in our movements especially we can like almost glamorize this idea of like really bidding ourselves up for the planet like oh I gotta feel like shit so that I'm doing the most work and it's like actually you're gonna burn out <laughs> and actually yeah. you need to laugh and actually you need to like have some silliness or have something that's going to fill you up in some way as well
0: yeah for sure joy is a sustainable resource is yes what I like to say I think uh you know talking about reading and kind of doing things for the sake of things um I read a great book which was how to do nothing resisting the attention economy by Jenny O'Dell and that book is great, talking about kind of just like the art of doing nothing. And that's something that I've been trying to embrace because, and this, even saying this, I feel guilty, but because of the nature of my job and the fact that, uh, unlike you, who is a hardworking medical student, um, I'm not in uni. And so often, especially during pandemic times, like I find myself with a lot of time on my hands. And because of, the system and society and stuff like I often feel guilty for that because I'm like so many other people are working constantly and you know doing all these things to just keep afloat and i'm I'm here, you know, yeah. what do I do with my time? Mm. but then I'm like, actually like that's okay because mm-hmm. you know <laughs> this is this is the way my brain works. Mm. We're on the rock in the middle of the universe, and living on the rock <laughs> in the middle of the universe should not be about constantly filling our time like yes. Why do we have this idea in our heads that we need to be constantly doing stuff? Obviously, mm -hmm. it's capitalism. But going and sitting under a tree and just listening to birds is still doing something. Mm. Reading a book for no reason not to learn something is still doing something. It's called living. And that, for me, is like, that's something I want for my ideal version of the world is for more people to be able to just live and not have to be constantly doing things that are... Seemed, like you say, as productive or as valuable. I guess there's even this
1: idea of doing nothing. Like you're doing something. Like we're always doing something technically. It's just like, is that something seen as valuable under like the current economic system and value system that we have? It's like, we are doing things all the time because like your body is and that's what i think is really like because i especially as a medic from a medic perspective like your body's doing fucking loads of shit all the time like and a lot of the time like you don't know it's happening but even if you're like sitting down and resting like your body is is like okay time to like sort all this stuff out time to like detoxify this part of your body like time to grow cells here like it's amazing how all of this stuff is going on at once there's so much that's happening it's just that you don't value like we don't value those things um and so i just think yeah it's like being able to quote unquote do nothing to me it just seems to like be like oh i'm just going to not like do something that seems valuable under capitalism but is valuable to me and to my well-being and that like is really important as well but then joe always tells me so joe's the co-host of yelks podcast she's like you need to stop framing everything that you do in your life through this current system of oppression otherwise you're not liberating yourself from them And that is also true, but it's hard.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Actually, I had I did an interview for someone recently and I kind of brought up that I was like, I know even like my friends, like we look at like, you know, saying, you know, joy is a sustainable resource. It's like. Even the fact that we have to say that, Mm, like, uh even the fact we have to frame it as, like, this thing that is, you know, gonna help us be better activists or help us get through all this shit stuff, like, Uh it should just be joy, full stop, like, Uh that should be enough yeah it shouldn't because in many ways we're still having
1: to make it like productive I, I remember seeing that uh a post by the nat ministry who i love and i think they're amazing that said like joy um rest is productive because you're like you're doing things when you're resting and that made me feel like i was allowed to rest and then i had to check myself to be like why do i not think that like the inherent nature of of rest being something that is good for my well-being is enough like why do I still have to make it productive um yeah yeah it is is tricky but I mean I think sometimes we have to cut ourselves like some slack and be like you know what yeah we're just trying
0: (laughs) it's a lot there's a lot of a a different uh, yeah that's all (laughs) I'll (laughs) say I think you did sort of touch on it when it came to like scuba diving and you said it so beautifully I'm um, kind of like your time in Jamaica and your roots growing up mm. and things like that and um, now you're based in Edinburgh and mm. I know you've lived in different places um, and I kind of wanted you to talk a bit about how you think those different experiences kind of influence your version of I guess utopia and mm. I realised you know traveling and having the opportunity to live in different places is a huge privilege mm-hmm. and obviously now there's a big conversation around kind of sustainable travel but I don't think we could ignore that it can be very influential in how we see the world like I know even just especially after lockdown having not been anywhere like just going out of my town I'm like oh yeah the world is bigger than here um, yeah. so do you think it kind of helps to reflect on those different experiences to um, envision that future. Uh yeah, just let's talk about that.
1: Yeah, so yeah, I grew up in Jamaica I oh, I say grew up in, I didn't really grow up in Jamaica, but I was born in Jamaica, lived there for like very early years of my life, like the like years of my life I don't remember when I was a very, very young child. And then moved to the UK afterwards and kind of went back to Jamaica every now and like every like three or four or five years. I don't know actually. Not that often to be honest. More I, I would have liked to spend more time there, definitely and mm. soon i will be spending more time there which will be really really good because i think i really want to connect more with that part of my culture yeah and i think that um especially from like a jamaican vibe so jamaica in many ways like it has its own like it has issues in its own way which um, and many of them are just product product of colonialism and the colonial legacy that's been left there and like it's very very sad in that way but there's so much about jamaican culture that's just more like just take your time just like slow down like just yeah maybe just like relax a bit like enjoy like the beauty of the world as it is and there's a lot of that in like in rasta culture as well as a lot of it's more of about like being connected to like our oneness and like to god and to like spirituality and just to who we are as humans and like liberation like through that lens of more of, of us being like connected to something like bigger than us and in jamaica there's a lot of like yeah just like slow down and people aren't really in a rush and like enjoying like how beautiful life is. And I do think that um, the contrast of that to I feel like in the UK is very much just like, we've got to rush through things and we've got a queue for everything and we've got to like <laughs> be very ordered. I think that kind of those two different sides have definitely impacted me a lot. And I think that, I think I have learned a lot about slowing down, I think probably from, from looking at like J- Jamaican culture and like my time there and my family there and things like that. Um, I also recognize though, how much as like a diaspora kid i romanticize like the homeland so much and i've talked to a lot of my friends who are also diaspora kids either they're from like um african countries or they're from caribbean countries or south america or whatever and all of us talk about how much like because we didn't live there we will like romanticize that like part of ourselves so like all that area so much will be like why am i in the uk when it's plague island when i could be in this amazing beautiful place we can sometimes forget like the other stuff that our parent, like the reason why our parents yeah. like might not like chose for us to grow up somewhere else um yeah but I do think that there are like there are parts of I don't know like when we went to Jamaica last time we went to this permaculture farm and it was like this vegan farm to table like had a vegan farm to table restaurant as well and it was just these like people who had like decided to Create this like beautiful, like natural, amazing farm, and it was just really cool. And I was like, "Oh yeah. wow, you're just deciding to like live off the land, but doing it in the most sustainable way that you can." And like, it was just really beautiful. And I was like, "This is a, like a little glimpse of like the world. And I think Joe also—I talk about Joe so much because we're normally on the podcast together. But um, mm. Joe also, I think, talks about a lot about how like because she's on a lot of permaculture stuff about how she sees like that as a glimpse of a beautiful world where you're you're choosing to like work with nature rather than against it, or rather than trying to I don't know, be better than it. Um, and I just think that there are so many glimpses I've seen, like, either from Jamaica or have been very privileged in the past to have traveled quite a lot, that you just see, like, different glimpses of humanity from all over the world. And you recognize, like, yeah, how small you are in the, yeah. the like, like, perspective of everything and how much there is to learn from people everywhere and also just how like borders are just a load of bullshit that was (laughs) imagined and makes these arbitrary lines between places like i remember i was um i was in ghana and we went to like a waterfall and like by the waterfall it was just like there was such just like a line it was like suddenly togo and like and it was just weird because i was like why like who chose there to be line here and then yeah. you can't either can't go across there or like people can't like see their family in the same way. And it was just so arbitrary. That it was literally almost like a straight line <laughs> between two countries. And especially when we look at the African continent, like that was just like Europeans came and just drew lines everywhere and chose this language is here and this language is here, even though they're like, especially in, in this area in Ghana, it was like the tribal language was the same over the border. But European like colonizers have come over and been like, this is where we're going to have Togo and this is where we're going to have Ghana. So even these people who are from the same kind of tribal culture so like they speak the same language were separated across an arbitrary line i think that like seeing because we can talk about how borders are like a construct and ridiculous but then seeing that made makes it so much more real i think sometimes and we don't have to see things in order to believe them i mean um yeah i'm a christian therefore i think i believe that quite (laughs) quite (laughs) perfectly um but I think that we can learn so much from seeing different parts of the world and different cultures and interacting with people and just seeing people on a human level and seeing the things that make us similar, but also the things that make us different. And I just think all of that is, is really exciting. And that's why I do, I do love travel. I know that like, I'm still working out like how I sit with that, with everything else. And I haven't, I didn't really fly last year and things like that, um, because I think it's difficult because I do think that like being able to experience different cultures does make people like it does change people fundamentally yeah um, absolutely. but it's like how much can we do like how can we reconcile that with our like beliefs about like climate and emissions and things and then that's something just I'm still working out
0: yeah well thank you for sharing all of that I, I'm just sat here listening because you always say such interesting things that I would never even have thought of so <laughs> thank you for that <laughs> the point about borders I think again that there we go that's an element of the world that I guess we can both agree we would like to maybe challenge and get rid of mm, in the future mm. um there's a, a just throwing out a load of book rep- recommendations in this episode we love it. um the book of trespass by Nick Hayes is a really great one which kind of looks at kind of walls and borders and you know trespassing um within the UK and it's just fascinating but if you need a book which will open your eyes about kind of land and property then that is a great yeah. recommendation and i think borders is something that
1: like remind me that everything is imagination like and this is something that i've been thinking about a lot more recently i'm yes having oh read, my gosh so i yeah. just
0: have to like jump in and be like yes okay. <laughs> <laughs> because
1: i've been reading like a lot of adrian marie brown's work recently and especially i read um we will not cancel us which is like a book about transformative justice And within it, um, Adrian talks a lot about how, yeah, like, oh, actually, maybe it's not in that one. Maybe it's in Emergent Strategies. But anyway, Adrian Marie Brown talks about, like, how everything is imagination and, like, what we pay attention to grows and what we believe can be real grows as well and like we need to have the audacity to believe that our imagination is also important and can be real in the same way that like white supremacists have believed that their imagination like white supremacy and whiteness even is is all of that is imagination that has just become real because people believe in it so fervently and all of these and borders of things that are just imagination that have become real because people believe in so fervently and will do these absurd things to uphold imagination and i think sometimes in our movements we will like undermine our own thoughts and our own imagination as just being like frivolous or imagination or this uh, or just being this like
0: you know look at the name of the podcast a bit idealistic you might say yeah
1: (laughs) but in reality it's just the same as these other things like it's also it's exactly the same we just have to believe in our stuff as much as other people believe in the other stuff like we need to yeah Have that audacity, I think, to challenge things like that. Like Anyone who listens to um, Yikes will know what I'm going to mention. So, is everyone ready? Andrew Davis. Um, (laughs) I'm so predictable. It's actually unreal. But it's because I I think that there's especially one thing that she talks about, that she talked about in the interview. I think it was with, I think it was with Time magazine. Where she was basically talking about, it was like, uh, talking about her life and... If people don't know who she is, she was uh she's an abolitionist and um a black radical feminist in the U.S. who has been working for like liberation for over fifty years. Like, yeah, she's I'm obsessed with her because of I think how she speaks about things is really important. And um yeah, I g- I gain a lot from it. And one thing that she spoke about was like how the future that she was fighting for in when they were first in the civil rights movement in like the sixties um the feminist future that she was fighting for the black feminist future she was fighting for she wasn't even aware of like trans issues and things like that like and the future that she was imagining and that they were wanting to get wouldn't have been the best future possible because it wouldn't have been inclusive of these issues and it wouldn't have been aware of these issues and how like that for me that encouraged me to to think like okay even the best future that I can possibly imagine there'll be things that I am not aware of yet and there'll be like Um, issues that I'm not aware of yet so even the even if I think of the best most like most audacious wonderful future that I can think of it still won't be the best that it can possibly be because of the limitations that I have as myself living in my context and the only the people that I know and and things I understand and so if I limit my future like actively then i'm like doing a disservice to the future in general because even my best future isn't as good as it can get so why would i limit that even more um actively so instead i think we that's why we need to have this audacity because like i think hearing that so hearing kind of that someone who i like respect and think is amazing i think her accent is amazing um she even said like that what she could think of won't be the best as possible then i'm like well then what i can think of won't be the best as possible either so i've just got to have the audacity to believe the best i can um for the future
0: yeah you and joe on the yikes podcast uh, everything that is being mentioned books podcasts etc will be in the description um but yeah you challenged me on that as, uh, and it came at the time where i was thinking of citing this podcast and i was like oh gosh i'm gonna have I'm talking about imagination and like i don't want people to be saying the wrong things and stuff but then i'm like no it's Mm. You know, don't, especially if this podcast takes off and there's lots of episodes for you to listen to, don't just listen to this first one. Let's listen to all of them and take from each other. It's kind of that thing you were saying in the beginning like, it's okay to take ideas from people about what the future of the world can be because, Mm. you know, we need it to be a collective effort and a collective imagination, not Mm -hmm. just. One person's vision, because exactly one one person's vision uh, created white supremacy. So you mm, know,
1: mm-hmm, exactly
0: <laughs> it all started somewhere. And and, and um, I just
1: think that it's really beautiful that like this podcast can be like a resource for people to listen to other people's ideas of the future. Because that's one thing that I um so Shadow Mag um they are uh, really amazing and their most recent issue was on youth and I guess I edited it and for the intro I wrote about like imagination and, and how you um... did yes it was
0: very good well done. oh thank
1: you oh thank you very much um because in that I said like like listen when you're reading all of these different accounts of like activism and futures and things like that like take notes and like and and add those ideas of the world into the future that you're creating because our own perspectives are so limited and we want to listen to as many people's as possible and that's why i think that this podcast will be a great resource for people to listen to like how other people are imagining futures and how like they can add bits of that into their own
0: yeah that's that's the aim hopefully mm-hmm. um and that yeah i totally agree with that um issue of shadow mag um and i think it kind of going back to the kind of idea of like traveling and stuff it's kind of like we have this resource now of the internet in that we can kind of travel through people's experiences that way so even if we can't you know there are obviously are benefits of really immersing yourself within a culture but in many ways we can also do that through you know reading and following people who live in different places and kind of taking from that as well yeah and no, I think that's one of the biggest things you can do
1: on social media I think is that it offers you the, the ability to like understand lots of different people's experiences that you might not be able to interact or you might not interact with like on the day-to-day and I think that that's something yeah. that um we need to make sure that we are like We're respecting and being aware of and doing more of yeah for sure like seeking out different perspectives
0: something that I I love about you <laughs> is that
1: <laughs> I love you too you Sonny are-
0: Thank you. Um, as a medical student, you have said in the past that like part of wanting to go into that field has been kind of wanting to see the person you always needed growing mm. up. Um, and I always think that's quite moving. Um, and I think it also links to kind of the fact that you are almost doing that to create that ideal world, because, mm. you know, you're actually putting steps in to make that happen. Um, and so I was just wondering if you could kind of talk a bit about that and maybe as well like how do you balance um, kind of knowing that it's a system issue and that Mm -hmm. you know you can't you can't change all of that you can't be the one person for for every person like you um, with understanding you have the opportunity to do so if that Mm -hmm. makes sense No, no no that makes a lot of sense
1: and that's like that's something I'm grappling with a lot I think so like, so growing up in Surrey where I grew up I like never had a black doctor I, I had like some like quite bad experiences with like GPs and stuff who would say really inappropriate things about me like in regards to like my race and things like that um and I think I always wanted to have like I wanted to walk into the doctor's room and see someone who like could maybe understand me a bit more um and mm. so going into medicine I think in in part was me wanting to to give that to someone else like I wanted like a little black girl to have a, a black woman doctor who kind of understood like her life in some way and could because in medicine generally like medicine is a is a white supremacy like it just built off off these systems that exist, and like in many ways, like who is the norm and who is like wh- who are the most of the studies done on? Like where do where does that information come from? A lot of that is is well not all of that is a product of white supremacy, and so I think that like it's a difficult space to be in because it's I recognise that I'm there because I want to like resist this, but also I am one person and it's yeah. a huge huge system and i'm this is something that i'm still i'm really still working out because there have been so many times at med school where i've wanted to drop out like so so many times because of like the white supremacy of medicine being so overwhelming um and then like a lot of the things that have kept me in is this idea of like yeah but you like i want to be that person for someone else and like i don't want to like give up and stuff like that um I think I've chosen not to give up (laughs) and I'm actively choosing every time I'm choosing not to give up. Um, but I can't pretend that it's not, I can't pretend it's easy. Um, Mm -hmm. I also can't pretend that like me being in medicine is going to change everything. That's just not going to happen. Like I recognize that I am one person and I'm not going to like uproot this entire institution. I think in, in like a, in a similar way to like how, like we want to abolish other institutions. I think, the only way that medicine could be changed from being white supremacy would, would be genuinely to like start again, like to start all of it again. And I yeah. recognize that that's just not probably gonna happen. <laughs> At least not in my lifetime. Um, maybe, or maybe it will, who knows? Let's have the audacity to think it can. But um, it's, yeah, but it's it, But that's why recognizing that I am just one person is is a way that I can keep going and just recognize where the limitations of what I can do are and where I can actually do things. And I realize that things I can do is be the best doctor for the patients directly in front of me and, and advocate as much as I can within the system, but recognize that there are limitations to what I can do and still be healthy as a human myself. Like if I want my mm-hmm. patients to be healthy, I also need to want myself to be healthy and to constantly to constantly feel like I'm active, like I'm having to do everything all, all the time isn't healthy because yeah, I am one person, I can't do everything. Um. And so it's like a, it's been like a hard balance to get, I think. And I think that anyone who who like holds um, like some sort of oppressed identity in some way um, will, and who works in an institution, will kind of be able to relate to that, probably. And I talked to a lot of my friends about that because, yeah, it is tricky. Because some, because I'm not gonna lie, there are sometimes where I just have to switch off to like how how much medicine is an institution and how much it can be harmful, in order just to like be okay <laughs> um and to do things um yeah I don't know it's something that I'm still working out I think is is genuinely really tricky I'm hoping that I'll work it out more I'm so that's why I'm part of the reason why I'm taking year off is because I think I want to be able to grapple with things whilst outside of them if that makes sense um, yeah so that I'm not so trying to like work everything out while still having to do a load of stuff yeah
0: taking that time to to step back and reflect is really important yeah for sure yeah thank you for sharing that and I was actually before you mentioned that I was gonna say I really respect your decision to take a bit of time time away and to prioritize yourself because you're a very hard-working person and (laughs) oh thank you
1: yeah I just think that we have so much I hopefully I mean like like god willing I will hopefully have so much time on this earth and I just there's no rush and even to be honest even if I like even I mean. you know if I don't have that much time I'd rather be happy like <laughs> in the time that I have yes. like whatever time I have I'd rather be happy and like I'd, I'm not in a rush for anything and I'd rather like get there healthily than just get there as soon as possible
0: not you know we're, we're here for all moods all tones whatever on a lighter note though what would you invent and this can be, you can be a kind of guilty activist and be like a high tech dream, or you can do something <laughs> really silly. What is something you're like, you know what? Wish that existed.
1: Oh gosh. This is gonna show my lack of creativity. Um <laughs> I also something I realised recently while we're talking on imagination is that yeah. when I so <laughs> when I close my eyes, I can't mm. picture things. I didn't realise I couldn't do this. Like I can I can like get the words to describe the things. But I didn't realize that like other people can like see the things I
0: can't like I can't do that I just see the words that's so interesting because I I can't imagine not being able to
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah I mean you're an artist so like I can I can so see that I think this shows that I'm like more this is probably why I'm more of a writer than I am an artist because like for me I like everything is like in words and like descriptions of things well use
0: your use your wonderful beautiful words to explain what you might. And this is something
1: that, talking about inventing things. This is something I always think when I am watching drag races, because they always have—not always, but sometimes—they have to invent something. I am like, oh my gosh, what would I do? I don't know, nothing. I am so bad. Um, what would I do? What would I do? Um, hmm, hmm. Maybe, and this is this is me inventing something that um, I don't know how this would actually work,
0: but yeah, find feel-
1: but fi- find find a, a way of invent of creating something mm-hmm. that would allow like other people. To experience like the feelings that other people feel, does that make sense? Kind of like Ooh, um, wow. on when Octavia Butler in *Parable of the Sower*, like the main character. I actually finished the book because I got a bit overwhelmed, but the main character it's, in
0: it—that like- book is a lot.
1: Yeah, and I think that I need to read it when I'm not going through a lot myself.
0: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I would recommend that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Um, but the main character, like, she has the the power of, like, empathy, of, like, being able to feel other people's feelings. Yeah. And I think that that that's really powerful. And I think she more feels other people's pain, but, like, I think being able to feel other people's feelings as a whole, I just think would make the world a better place. And whether it is, Mm. like someone being able to feel the joy that I feel when I'm diving or whether it's someone being able to feel the pain that people feel when in different spaces or or just be able to feel like how other people feel in situations. I feel like it would just make the world a better place but also allow us to understand each other so much more. Um, yeah. And yeah, I even see that as a way of like, abolishing like so many of these different institutions because we wouldn't need them because we'd be able to like understand each other better i think a lot of the harm that's caused in this world is, is through lack of understanding each other or, or not willing or lack of trust and willi- or, not, or not willingness to trust each other and i feel like yeah. maybe this thing that i don't even know how this would work <laughs> so don't ask me um <laughs> would would help us kind of bridge a lot of those those gaps and those issues
0: yeah, I love that. And you know what? You don't need to know how it would happen because that's not the point. We're not here for working it out. We're here for just being like this should be a thing. Yeah, I like yeah. that a lot.
1: No, yeah, I think that be. And that that could maybe like um help with the issue of we can't maybe we can't travel in the same, maybe we can, but you can still experience that and understand someone from somewhere else because of my thing. <laughs> Look
0: at that tying in nicely. Mm. Okay. Um so really to sort of wrap this up what is one thing you think listeners could do to kind of help make your world a reality? And I kind of, I use the word your world uh, cautiously, because, you know, we kind of touched on this, it shouldn't just be one person. But I guess, again, if people were to come back, listen to other people's ideas Mm -hmm. of the future, what can they do to kind of help towards that? Yeah, I think so
1: from my like, Context in my perspective, like as a black woman, I care a lot about black liberation, and that's probably something that I like really want people to engage with more. And I do think that whilst I think like the majority of oppression is like built on systems and institutions, and it's not just interpersonal, I do think that like in the same way that um, imagination of things make things real, like how we see the world and how we navigate ourselves our way through the world um enables these systems and holds them up in many ways, and so. In a similar way that, like, when I talk about, like, abolition, I think we need to abolish the police and prisons in our head in order to be able to abolish them in the world that we see around us. I also think that we need to, like, dismantle the white supremacy in our head to in order to dismantle white supremacy in the society around us. So something I ask a lot of people to do all the time is, um, I mean, if you're just starting out in this, or even if you think you're solid when it comes to, like, Tackling white supremacy and things. I'd really recommend um, Leila Sard's Me and White Supremacy course because it's all about like dismantling it in your head. And I think that like that will impact, I think already the systems that exist in the world that we all exist in have an impact on our ability to envision things or imagine things because our thoughts in many ways are built off these systems and like are like limited by these systems. And so I think dismantling that internally will help us dismantle mm. these, these things externally and so that's why I would really recommend doing the mean white supremacy course to people and then reading books like um what white people can do next by Emma Dabry which I think is good for all people whether you're racialized as white or black or anyone anything else um I think all people could gain a lot from that and just like yeah in, engaging with these ideas and recognizing how important it is to do that internal work as well as the external work and how I think the internal work impacts the external. Um, and like the reality is, is that I think the future that I want the most is one where we just see, we all see each other as human and, and as valuable. Like that's the baseline is like, that's kind of what dignity is. I think in many ways it's like we're all seen as human and, and, and as valuable in the fullness of our humanity and that will look different for different people. Um. So yeah, I just think in order for people to do that, especially that we live in this white supremacy is dismantling the ideas that make us believe that other people are less human. Um, and for me that like, I focus on black liberation, but there are ways we can do that around like ableism and like, lo- and, like trans issues and things like that as well. Um, but I think like just engaging with how we uphold these things in our head and dismantling that is a great first step.
0: How should I wrap this up? I should probably thank you, shouldn't I? It's like, all right, see you later, love. I really hope you were able to enjoy the conversation with Mick and that you could take from it and learn new things and hear from a different perspective. As I said at the start of the show, I wanted to talk a little bit more about the campaign I know she has been working very hard on called Pay to Pollute, which is... A campaign trying to prove that the UK government is basically going against their climate commitments um, and all the things they've signed up to under the Paris Agreement. Since signing the Paris Agreement in 2016, the UK government has paid fossil fuel companies £3.2 billion of public money by allowing them to pay next to nothing in taxes. Mick, along with two other climate activists, are taking them to court over it, which is incredibly exciting. So if you would like to support that campaign and follow the court case when it goes ahead, then make sure to check out Paid to Pollute and all the info will be in this episode's description. As always, if you enjoyed this episode and want to follow the podcast elsewhere, then you can find it on Instagram at, at IdealisticallyPod and on Twitter at, at IdealisticallyP. You can find me at, at Tolmea, which is spelled T O L M E I A. And all the information, book recommendations, everything else you could ever possibly want will be in the description to the episode. Please feel free to leave a review on whatever podcast platform you are able to like, share, send it to your friends, send it to your mum. I will be forever grateful. Sound and editing by myself and music by Stowe Gregory. Um, yeah. And wait, this is, this is where (laughs) I am learning on the spot. (laughs) You're smashing
1: it toes. You're smashing it.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Um, we can edit this out. That's fine. Um, (laughs) you're talking about dignity. No, right. Mm -hmm. I'm back. I'm back.